Welcome to the Ambitious Coach Podcast. This is a place where driven, determined coaches learn how to get off the business growth struggle bus and learn how to build a wildly profitable online coaching business. I'm your host, Allison Henderson, corporate dropout to six-figure social media business coach. I'm going to show you how I've been able to create the business of my dreams organically all through utilizing my social media platforms. So pull up a seat, take some notes, and get ready to see your life in bank account transform. Hello, and welcome back to the Ambitious Coach Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest for you. I interviewed Dr. Shahana Alibi. Dr. Shahana is a professional speaker, family physician, and mental health expert. Due to her background and expertise, she was able to go much deeper into the different ways we numb ourselves, dealing with uncertainty in our life and in our business, emotional intelligence, and what that really means, and so, so much more. I truly loved her significant wisdom around self-awareness and mental health. I really hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. So more about Dr. Shahana. As I mentioned earlier, she is a professional speaker, family physician, and mental health expert. She has worked with a multitude of national organizations to help gain more clarity into their mental health. Her insights are highly sought after, and she has been featured in multiple major media, including CTV and Global. She is best known for her TEDx talk. Emotional Literacy for Better Mental Health. So please go on YouTube and listen to that today. She has served on the UBC Faculty of Medicine Residency Training Program and is currently a national accreditor for the College of Canadian Family Physicians. Dr. Shahana is passionate about shaping policy around child and youth mental health by bridging the gap between healthcare and social emotional education. She is a master at blending her personal story of postpartum anxiety and the resulting shame, denial, and mental health challenges with her professional background in cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness meditation. Her candor, humor, and refreshing honesty will shine light on the topic that is too often stigmatized and inspire authentic dialogue to keep the conversation moving forward. As a lead physician at one of British Columbia's largest youth health centers, much of Dr. Shahana's career is focused on those struggling with their mental health. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I hope once again that you enjoyed as much as I do. So welcome, Dr. Shahana. Hello, Dr. Shahana. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's such a pleasure being here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Well, I wanted to have you on today. I know that you are a plethora of knowledge when it comes to mindset and emotional intelligence and all the things. I'd love for you just to share, like, how did you get started in this? And like, like, what, what, I guess, uh, if you guys don't know, she is a TEDx speaker. She is on stages. She's amazing. Like, how did you get started doing that? Yeah. So, I always love to use the dinner party analogy, right? If you saw me at a dinner party, I might introduce myself as a doctor, a family doctor that works a lot, actually mainly almost primarily with with adolescents between the ages of 12 and 24 and deals a lot with mental health over the last 10 years and uh, a TEDx speaker on emotional literacy and a mom, a mom of three boys, three, five, and seven. So that's all on paper. But what often isn't said is, is my own struggle with mental health and the fact that I really, since the age of four or five, started having really undiagnosed symptoms. And this is now 30 plus years ago. And I lived so much of my life in shame and stigma and silence because I didn't know what was going on. And it was only until medical school 
that I actually started to uncover this aspect about myself. And I think a lot of people might feel that way. I always joke when it comes to your health, everybody is a, unique as a snowflake. But when it comes to mental health, nobody really wants to be unique. You want to have a space that you're caught, a space that you know that someone says, I get it. I understand. It's in that nanosecond that you tell your therapist or your doctor what's going on, that they can either lean away or lean in. And that is such a powerful thing because the minute they lean away, that secrecy and stigma and shame just augments. And for me, it was the diagnosis of what ended up being postpartum OCD. And I always say that we talk a lot about anxiety and depression, but when we use the words OCD, bipolar, schizophrenia, suicidality, those become too much. We end up taking a big step back because we don't quite know how to deal with them. So I start my story there because I think for me, if I hadn't reconciled with this, and mental health is one of those things that I believe that it's never a black and white answer. You're always learning and growing. It's it's not a wound that ever maybe completely quite heals, but you're trying to figure out the best way for you to heal. I realize that the science of emotions, how do you deal with the emotions you have? How do you uncover what your emotions are trying to tell you instead of doing what I was used to doing, which was numbing, suppressing, or blaming? Those are the three things most of us do with it. And I use the analogy that emotional health, if you think about a picked picture, emotional health are the little pixels, the little, little, you know, dots that make up the picture and the picture is mental health. So emotional health are the pixels, mental health is the picture and the picture is what I end up seeing as the clinician. You know, I will see the insomnia and the lack of motivation and the depression and the panic attacks, but if we really look back, we might see decades of emotional suppression or inadequate emotional literacy. And that's not to blame anybody. It's just the fact that none of us are taught this stuff. And that's where I begin my journey. So tell me more, like, I know some of you guys listening are like familiar with the words like emotional literacy or emotional intelligence. Can you just like, kind of give a brief brief understanding of what that really is and what that really means. Yeah, 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 exactly. So the words emotional intelligence actually really got their claim to fame probably in the 1970s with the introduction of the book, Emotional Intelligence too. Now, really, when we think about IQ, most of us kind of understand that, that, you know, it's scored on a test. It was taught to be the marker of intelligence. But nowadays, emotional intelligence, which unlike IQ is not fixed, you can improve your emotional intelligence really encompasses many different things. Number one being self-awareness. It's this idea that you're able to know what you're feeling. And not only that, but use that information to communicate better with others, to strengthen your relationships. And also we've all met those people who might not be able to read the other person, right? We all know those types of people in our life that, you know, there's a lot of those cues, nonverbal cues, namely, that we use just to dictate our conversations. All of that, what a lot of people, I think, incorrectly call soft skills, because these are the things that are actually dominating the career force right now, that is encompassed in emotional intelligence, the interpersonal skills, how you're communicating with one another, and how you actually go on to make decisions based on the emotions of yourself and the other person. 
Mm. So how could somebody get better with their own emotional intelligence? Uh, the number one and probably most difficult um, step is, is becoming more self-aware. That I think is the place mm. I like to start. And self-awareness, that you, the way that you need to think about this is that we all have this inner roommate in our head. And it might sound a bit odd or bizarre, but we all do. It's it's you. It's the voice that is talking to you constantly. Mm. I've met patients in their 70s. And when I introduce this concept, they say, Oh, like they're getting it, but no one. I, that's a thing. Everyone has a this? Thing. Everyone <laughs> has Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Because we've just learned to either tune out that voice or we really just suppress that voice or just be, or maybe feed too much into that voice. Mm-hmm. And that voice, although that is yourself, the harder part comes to understand this adage that you are not your emotions. I hope you're not your emotions because all of us, there's 3,400 different types of emotions and we cycle through them just like colors in a paint palette every day. You are not your thoughts either, even though that you are constantly thinking something. But the my spin on it is even though you're not your emotions and not your thoughts, perhaps, perhaps you are your perceptions. Because it's your perception of the situation that dictates your actions. So that is the way that I like to start things. So it's first of all, identifying that you have, you can call it a roommate. I like to call it a radio in your head. For a lot of the youth I work with, that radio is never going to be silent, but your job is to control the dial. Can you turn up the dial or turn down the dial, right? And yes, we use medications and whatnot to help in more severe cases, but a lot of this you can do with yourself or through the work of a trusted therapist too. But learning to turn up the dial when it comes to things like, how do I self-acknowledge? You know, for me, self-acknowledgement is the bridge between self-awareness and self-love. And I'll say it again, self-acknowledgement is the bridge between self-awareness and self-love. I think we talk too much about, oh, just love yourself, love yourself. That For a lot of us out there, I think that can feel very nebulous. But I think the place that I get my youth to start, in order to be self-aware, you have to be curious. You can't be critical. And that's really hard if you've had decades of practice of hating yourself. So I'll say, don't be, don't love yourself necessarily, but can you tell me something that you can really acknowledge yourself for? Look at a difficult time that you've been through. How did you get through that difficult time? I met a young girl who was in 26 foster cares, 26. And I asked her, I said, do you love yourself? No, I, many expletives, hate myself. Mm -hmm. I said, well, tell me more. How, How did you get through all of that? I said, if you put me in 26 foster cares, I'd be a shell of myself. How are you sitting here so articulate at the age of 15? Mm -hmm. Tell me. And she kind of just stood up a little bit straighter. Sometimes you need another person to be your mirror and to say, look at everything that you've been through. I had a 17-year-old who was addicted to everything under the sun at age 14 after his dad handed him some heroin. Mm -hmm. He got off all of that. And at the age of 17, he was still drinking quite a bit. And he was just so upset that he was still drinking. And I said, your dad handed you that and you've come through all of that. Take a second to go look at how far I've come. And I think we might meet people in our life who do that too much for themselves. But I think there's a lot of us, including us coaches, including physicians, including us mothers and parents who don't take a second 
Because I guarantee you will not be self-aware unless you have something to hold on to that you care about yourself for. Because you can't be self-aware if you don't care about yourself because it's too painful to look inside. So you just numb. What are like most common ways people are numbing? Oh, so any, there's a couple of things too. So I think the most things that I see in my practice really is substance abuse because that's probably the easiest thing. So we yeah. see a lot of marijuana use, tons of alcohol use because these are all things that are accessible. And even though I love working with youth because they're really honest, they'll tell me exactly how much they drink and exactly how much they <laughs> Yeah. But I also work in a family practice setting and I also work with women's health. And a lot of the times they'll say, oh, I'll drink, you know, a couple glasses of wine a night. And well, how much is a couple of glasses? Well, when... And the rule of thumb in medicine is whatever a patient admits to you, you double because really they're only admitting 50%. So I would say because all of these things that are socially acceptable, it's easy to fall into that trap where it's not just one, two, it's a couple that you need. And maybe it's not even substances. Maybe it's really what looks really benign, which is just TV, right? I'm just going to put on the TV and scroll and scroll and scroll. Forget the TV. What's the thing that's most easy for us to access this, mm-hmm. right? It's the, it's the, it's the mindless scrolling, right? And I think mm-hmm. people be watching cat videos for two hours and go, okay, do I feel better? No, but I've just wasted the last two hours. Now I feel even worse about myself too. Yeah. But it's no wonder that we're starting to see other types of addictions rise. Anything that increases your dopamine, really. So whether it be gambling, substance use, and there's the, the list really goes on and on. So we're just trying to replace one thing for another thing to try to sometimes just feel anything. Because mm. the absence of feeling is feeling. Even the absence of feeling is feeling. Oh, I I love this. Um, I just know for a fact that a lot of like, you know, at night it's just like, oh, like instead of like drinking a glass of wine, it's like, I will I'll sit on my phone and just kind of do get stuck in the scroll. So if somebody's doing that right now, like, like what I, I know, like you're just being aware of it, just being like, Oh, this is how I numb out is like a lot of like the key to freedom here. But like, if she really wants to stop that, that dopamine hit, or even just like, Hey, I, I don't want to have to reach for the bottle of wine every night. Like what's her next step. Yeah. To, to yeah, getting yeah, off yeah. that. So let's use the, let's use the phone thing, because I think that you can, I, this is never going to go anywhere. It's only going right. to get more complicated. Yeah, so 100%. Well, right? Especially Learning. for me, like I do my business on my phone. Like I am a social media business coach. <laughs> I'm constantly like checking stuff. I'm like, oh my God, this, it, it, it does. It's like mindset wise. I'm like, all right. And now I'm just stuck in this wine. I just need to put it away. I'm not working. So it, put it away. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So in that, in that situation, one of the pieces that's lacking when you numb is an outcome, is the mm. outcome. What do, you, what do you want to feel? We never ask ourselves that question. Mm. Well, I don't want to feel anything. Well, that's not, what do you want to feel? So I do this very often. Like I said, I have three boys who constantly are testing my emotional intelligence, mm. <laughs> constantly. So I often, my keyword, my I call it my emotional bed, the thing that I crawl into. You need to figure out what your emotional bed is. For me, it's overwhelmed. We always say, well, I don't like negative or uncomfortable emotions. Well, no, you do because you spend a lot of time in there. That is your emotional bed. It's cozy. It's warm, just like a Sunday morning. 
What covers are you climbing underneath? So let's take it, maybe for somebody it's anxiety. Maybe for somebody it's overload or over, and like for me, it's overwhelm. Maybe it's other people, it's anger. Then you want to think to yourself, well, what do I want? To, what do I want? I don't want numbness. I, I want joy. I want oh, surprise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want awe. I want thrill. I want laughter. Like these are the, we don't spend any time thinking about this because we just keep thinking you want happiness. No, you don't. You don't want happiness. Happiness is not the bullseye because happiness is the byproduct. Happiness is the byproduct. If I chased thrill and awe and joy, I'm going to be happy, right? So you're just, we're just chasing the wrong thing. So find out what's your bullseye. And for me, a lot of the time it's awe and thrill and just wanting to have a laugh and feel humor because I don't maybe feel that as much as I'd like to in my day. Yeah. You're a doctor that deals with a lot of stuff, you know, like I just want to come off and laugh. (laughs) Oh, exactly. Like I realized very late in medical school training, no one's ever going to see me because they're okay. No one, everybody has a really Mm -hmm. big problem. And I was just talking to another patient the other day. And every time I put people on medications, there's a bit of my heart that goes, "I I don't want you to be the guinea pig. I don't want you to come back to me and say, I've been vomiting all night and things because I know how that feels. And it hurts me literally to feel that I've put you on that. So another patient the other day said, oh, doc, this rocked my world. This was great. I'm going, okay, but that it can feel like a lot to carry when you're carrying all of this stuff. So in any case, I use the phone. I say, I want to feel, I want to laugh. So I will find a YouTube video, a comedy Seinfeld episode, whatever the case might be. And so that's my outcome. And I set a timer. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever the case might be, set a timer and set an outcome. Then go do you. Do it on your phone, do it on the TV, do it wherever it is. Even if it's for if it's for a glass of wine, it's a glass. Pair that with your favorite book, set your timer and say for the next half hour, I'm going to enjoy my one glass of wine and I'm going to read my book and after this, do I feel a sense of relaxation? Do I feel a sense of fill in the blank, whatever that is for you. But that introspection, that's the hard part because we're not used to it. We're not used to asking ourselves the question, what do you want to cultivate? If I asked you at the end, what do you want to feel? What if you did this first thing when you woke up in the morning, said by the end of today, I'm going to cultivate a sense of thrill. Well, everything that I look out in my day I'm going to be laser focused looking for that. I've often thought about creating an app where it's like a wheel of fortune app and it lands on this comfortable, positive emotion. And you like a laser look out in your day for that. We don't suffer from a lack of joy. We suffer from a lack of recognizing it because we go through our day like horses with blinders on. Mm -hmm. Take the blinders off and start to set your intention in the morning. Right. I think we quickly wake up in the morning and it's like possibly a chaos. You know, it's like, gotta get kids ready for school or I have to get ready for work or I got to get back to my clients or whatever the things like we immediately kind of get like anxious and the anxiety and all that stuff starts creeping in really quickly. So I love that you said that just setting this intention, like the minute you like your feet hit the ground in the morning of like, no, I'm going to look for the thrill today. I'm going to look for the laugh. I'm going to look for the the joy and the happiness or whatever. Exactly. Um, I love exactly. that. And service. I think you, whenever in times of uncertainty, Mm -hmm. serve. Mm -hmm. In times of uncertainty, serve. Because that, we we kind of talked about this prior to the recording too. This 
if you're a coach out there, you're probably listening to this, obviously. And this can be very nebulous. Once again, I always, we were kind of talking about this, that medical school was was easy in the sense it was linear. They told me what to do. And if you did what they told you, you'd graduate and you're done. Okay. What I'm trying to do right now as a speaker is a hundred times harder than medical school. A hundred times. And I think everybody listening needs to hear that. That, you know, we often put medical school on a pedestal. That was easy. Not having a route to follow, dealing with uncertainty, dealing with the idea. Seth Godin gave a beautiful example that juggling is not about is not about catching. Juggling has nothing to do about catching. It has everything to do about throwing. When he mm. teaches someone how to juggle, he teaches them how to throw, not to catch. Catching is black and white. Either you've caught it or you haven't caught it. Mm. Throwing. I could throw a million ways. And that's what everyone listening is doing. We're all throwing. We're all hoping that we will catch it at the end. But getting comfortable with throwing your own way. Mm. And that might be different in another month from now, right? Mm-hmm. Why don't they teach us in school? Like, honestly, <laughs> like, I just don't get this. Cause like, we're all just these like, w- like adults with like emotions, right? Why aren't they teaching this at that young age of like preschool and can like, how are you feeling today? Like, why don't we talk about this stuff? I know. I, yeah, no, I, I agree. When I was giving my TEDx talk a couple of years ago, they were just starting to introduce some curriculum of social emotional learning. And it's real. I interviewed a a teacher who works with high-risk youth, and he said, in the school system, we do a really good job of interpersonal communication, right? Making sure that, you know, two people can hopefully have a good dialogue and even conflict resolution and things like that. He's like, the big area that we are lacking and scoring zero in is self-awareness, is trying to teach a child and a teenager to look inside yourself. And that's really hard because self-awareness is biology and biography. It's biology and biography. It, that just basically means we're all wired very differently. So maybe you have a propensity towards depression or anxiety or ADHD, and then you add that on to your biography, the story that your parents have written on your invisible book, your yeah. coaches, your peers, all of that, all of that becomes so messy, to be honest, and becomes really hard to dissect and tease apart. So when somebody is trying to, it's not as simple as say, how do I feel? Well, no, because I meet a lot of these kids whose inner dialogue is I'm trash. I'm worthless. I mean, nothing. Everyone hates me. And they are convinced. They are convinced because at the age of four, that is what their parents and not no offense to their parents, but that is what their life has repeated to them. So you're not only trying to be aware, but you're trying to break some of these bonds. And if you are a coach, one of the best things to ask, the best question you can ask when your client is talking is, what would that say about you? What would that say about you? That you can't accomplish this, that you're struggling with this, that you have imposter syndrome because of this. What would that say about you? Simple question. Yeah. I think some of the best coaches as we were like talking before the interview is just like some of the best coaches are the ones that really bring those emotions out of you. And like, have you really dissect it? Like, where does that come from? Why do you think that? Like, tell me more, just like saying, tell me more. Why, <laughs> why yeah. one of my, my, my coach that I have right now, like, honestly, if we, if I listen back to her, uh, her and I is recording, she just, I honestly, she just goes, why, why do you think that? Why, why? Like the whole time? Why, why? And I'm like, can you stop doing this? But I'm like, <laughs> 
God, she's bringing out like all of the things. And I'm like, I would never do this on my own. I just wouldn't. So I feel like yeah. some of like, like some of the things that maybe uh, coaches do lack is like letting people talk about the emotions. So I know for a fact, and I was telling you this earlier is like when I first started, because I wasn't comfortable with my emotions, I was having a hard time letting people open up to me about their emotions. Right. So I'd love for you to kind of tell me, like, do you know, like, why that, like, why does that happen to us? Like, and is it just because we're afraid to sit with our emotions? But like, I, I really want people to be really good coaches. And I think, like I said, this is one of the missing components is like, it's not just about the strategy that I, I obviously am very much into the strategy part of, you know, growing a business, but like the emotional part is like a huge part of why we succeed or why we don't succeed. Right. The mindset. So like, how can somebody be better at that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think what your coach did is that, that it's called the exercises of seven layers deep. And basically <laughs> if you have an emotion or have an experience or a situation, the other person just keeps, well, well, why did you feel that way? Well, why and you ask that why seven times until you get to the golden nugget, right? That's, that's basically the, the exercise. Wow. I think what you said is really important too, because I think a lot of us and even people, even physicians in the medical field, they'd much rather treat a headache and abdominal pain than treat anxiety <laughs> and depression. Let's be honest. Yeah. Here's a pill. Here's this. Here's some testing. Because I think a lot of us, just like when you might feel this way with a friend or even your spouse, we don't, we feel like we're going to say the wrong thing. Yeah. We're feeling like we're going to make it worse. We feel like, what if they tell us something that I don't know how to handle and it's too much? Very similar to what I was saying about anxiety. Luckily, we've come to after post COVID, I think people are throwing our words anxiety, depression, left, right, and center, which is great. Don't get me wrong. But if we use anything more than that, then it's like, oh, I, I go see the helpline, go do this because it's too much for me. And Yes, there are there are those times. Absolutely. I think we all can recognize those and especially in recent events, what those times could could look and feel like, but never never um never shy away from asking the hard questions and never think that your role just by being there as a therapeutic listener is not enough. Yeah. Right. I don't think any of your clients expect you to be a psychiatrist or a trained counselor. I think most of us know the difference there. But I think what they are hoping for you is to recognize that you can't ignore the impact of their emotions on their work. Those two mm -hmm. things do not occur in silos. Mm -hmm. So a good coach has to recognize that maybe the reason you're not progressing on X, Y and Z is because something is holding you back and everybody has a story. So as a coach, if you can only, un just like I told you, my dinner party story mm. and my real story. Yeah. That's taken me 35 years to feel comfortable saying. Mm. My own fam, parts of my own family doesn't even know that about me, right? So how can you get your clients to tell you not just the dinner party version of them, but their truth? Mm -hmm. And yes, you can point them in right directions if they need more help in covering that. But if you know their actual truth, what their parents were like, how their relationship is, what's happening with their kids right now, are they caring for aged parents? Are they financially stuck? Like, mm -hmm. What is that? What is churning in their head? Because I'll tell you, 80% of the time when I see somebody with, with a medical physical complaint, even just the other day, a woman's actually was complaining of profuse vomiting and she was pre which means she's about to faint. And she, 
she used the words in the first five minutes. I think I'm stressed. I think I'm stressed. I think I'm really stressed. And I said, use the word stress like 10 times in the first one minute. What's going on? And it just all came out of what she was dealing with. And it, at the end, I said, you know, your body best, like, look at how much you're going through. So in, listen to your client's story, feel the whole story and keep asking those whys mm-hmm. and realizing that those two things are connected more than separate. I think those are the three things that you can implement right now in your business. That's wonderful. Wow. Thank you so much. Like, I feel like this conversation was filled with just so much wisdom and like, obviously too, you know, that these people on here are listening because they're a coach. They want to be a great coach. I think just this, just adding this little like mental health mindset and just being aware, aware of these emotions and all the stuff that's going on in our heads and inside of our bodies, like is what's going to really get us to our next level as well, like personally and both with our clients. So thank you so, so much. Well, tell everybody like, where can people find you and how, how can people consume more of your content? Oh, absolutely. So go over to my website, uh, drshahana.com. Connect with me on Instagram at the Dr. Shahana and check out my TED Talk, Emotional Literacy for Better Mental Health. Leave a comment if you like it. Love to connect with you all. Thank you so, so much. All right. Well, thank you for coming on today. And everyone, thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Ambitious Coach Podcast today. A couple favors before you go. If you found this episode helpful, please take a screenshot and share it on Instagram. Most importantly, don't forget to tag me at Allison Henderson underscore coach. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N Henderson underscore coach. And lastly, please take a minute to rate this episode and leave a raving review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to listen. Okay, ambition is great, but it's time to get to work. Take action and commit to being 1% better every day. Once again, thank you for tuning in and I will see you again next week.